Well, it is, uh, it's good to have you today. Uh, we're glad to be able to celebrate with you and worship alongside of you. Uh, we are wrapping up today a sermon series we titled Christmas Lights and Family Fights. Um, and for those of you who, uh, there's no dysfunction in your family. You have no regrets. Um, there's no past pain. We welcome you, Jesus. But the rest of us, the rest of us, we can probably identify with some of that. The first week we talked about this, this weird story we have in Genesis chapter 38. You remember Judah and Tamar, and we walk through this really weird story, and it's scandalous, right? And at the end of it, we kind of came to this conclusion that even though dysfunction can be passed down, so can redemption, and that's wonderful news for some of you because over the generation, you have seen the way dysfunction has been handed down and you wondered if there's ever a way that you can break apart from that. And the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus shows us through this story of complete dysfunction that redemption can be passed down as well. Last week, we talked about the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And again, it's this story of, of all kinds of uh, scandal, and, and there's, some, there's some things in there that, that seem really out of place. But as we concluded last week's sermon, we ended with this thought that you'll never find the value in someone who's seeking their own worth. And this is huge for some of you, because you've spent your life trying to get your value from your father from your mother. You spent your whole life waiting for the applause of an authority figure in which you have never ever received yet. And it's weighed you down. And so a part of the redemption story of Ruth and Naomi is that we learn that we will never find our value in somebody else who's also to seek, seeking out their own worth. That Ultimately, God is the thing that gives us great value. Today, we're going to be concluding this series, and I wanted to start it off um, because we're going to be talking about pain and regret and kind of scandal and things that you wish you could get over. And I thought I would share with you um, some, some pain from my past, and I will tell you, that everything I'm about to tell you is absolutely a true story. Maybe you can identify with it, and maybe you can't. This story happened to me in high school, and it took place at a high school gathering where all of my high school friends had come together, and we were going to kind of be celebrating, you know, fall and harvest and Halloween. And so there were games set up for us, and, you know, everybody kind of dressed up and all those kinds of things. And we broke into teams. It just so happened that one of the girls that was there was a girl that I kind of had my eye on. And so all night long, right, I'm trying to impress her the very best way I know how to impress her. We got to a time where we're going to do this race in and, and teams, and our team was behind because we had already participated in a couple of other things, you know, and our team had lost. And so I decided, all right, listen, I'm going to take the bull by the horns on this next year relay, and I'm going to make sure that we come out on top. 
the game was bobbing for apples. And I figured I would go in with as much stealth and accuracy as possible. And by, somehow, by bobbing for apples, I might win over not only this lady, but the whole crowd that they, they would be cheering by how many apples I was able to retrieve from this big bucket. So I take a big, deep breath, and they say, go. And I push my head down into this huge barrel. Well, the barrel was so big, and the water was uh, very low at the bottom, so it kind of pushed up on my stomach every time I went down in. And when it did that, it was uncomfortable, so I'd have to come up every few seconds and swallow a little bit more air. And every couple of seconds, I would have to repeat because it was pressing in on my stomach too much. I'd take in another big gulp of air, go back down and push against my stomach. About the fifth time that this happened, you already know where this story is going, don't you? When you swallow too much air and something's pressing on your stomach, I don't want to I don't want to get too graphic, but what I'll tell you is I parted the hair of about four people behind me that day. <clears throat> I heard it from underwater. I mean, <laughs> you laugh now, but I was mortified. I thought, can I drown myself right here and now? This will be a better story if I just go ahead and die. I was underwater so long I heard the crowd laugh and then stop and worry about me. <clears throat> I thought if I could come out with an apple, at least it would be worth it, but I couldn't, right? <laughs> Eventually, I was running out of air, and I surfaced to the top. I looked around, and I thought, I don't even know what to say now, right? I mean, everybody's kind of snickering and laughing and pointing. That's kind of walk off to the side. And that, that story stuck with me for years. It stuck with me for years. How silly is that, right? But it stuck with me for years, and I remember 10 years later, a group of us who had been there that night, right, we were all gathered around, and they, they said, you remember that time? Steve, you want to try bobbing for apples again? I don't think so. It's a funny story, and we can laugh, and I can laugh about it now, but my guess is you have a story from your past that is stuck with you, and it's not so funny. There's a story from your past that's full of regret and it's full of shame and it's full of heartache and everybody saw it, but there's no laughter involved. It may be full of scandal or regret, or shame, hurt, and no doubt pain. And today, that's where we're diving into in this this theme of Christmas lights and family fights. What's really odd to me as we kind of look at this family uh, setting is that over 40 million people in the United States alone have bought and tried some kind of DNA testing to figure out where they come from. 
And really the goal is to find out, okay, am I related to somebody? Where, where does my ancestry go back to, right? And some of us have kind of dug in. I remember a few years back I got on Ancestry.com and, and I began to kind of plug in and see what my family line went to. And it's really cool if you find out that you're related to somebody really important, but sometimes you just find out, you know, it's, it's the knuckleheads that I know, right? The people want to know who they are and who they're related to because there is one simple truth and that is your family will have a profound impact on your life. And whether that's for the good or for the bad, your family will have a profound impact on your life. And some of you have been blessed by that. And for some of you, it's like that not-so-funny story that you continue to try to run from. But everybody knows, and everybody identifies you. Today we're going to read this story. We're concluding with the story of Jesus and how he came about. It's, it's found in Matthew chapter 1. We've been reading through the genealogy a bit. But in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 17, we kind of get to the crux of it. It says this, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Now, right away, we see some interesting language here, don't we? Because we read that Joseph was the husband of Mary, but Mary was the mother of Jesus. Joseph being left off as the father, now we'll explore this story a little bit more. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how we know the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home and his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until after she gave birth to a son. And they gave him the name Jesus. And here is this story that I don't know about you, but if I was friends with or family with or knew Mary and Joseph at the time, I might have raised an eyebrow to this story, mightn't you? If all of a sudden a woman came up pregnant, she said, now listen, Steve, I know this sounds far-fetched, but the Holy Spirit told me that I was going to have a child. I'm telling you what, I've been faithful. I haven't done anything. And I might say, right, yeah, uh-huh, I get you. And Joseph is feeling the same way. In fact, he says, listen, I love you, Mary, and I would love to be your husband, but I can't do this. I know the child isn't mine. 
And so he decides in the midst of everything, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to follow through with this marriage. You're going to have to do this on your own. He doesn't want to publicly disgrace her, but he doesn't want to live with her either. And before Jesus is even born, the scandals, the shame, the gossip begin. And we can see through the life of Jesus how these stories kind of pop up. And you can only imagine how many times Jesus must have heard, oh, yeah, you're, you're the guy whose mom got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Right. That's how everybody happens, right? Scandal and shame can follow us. In fact, we all have pieces of the past that are filled with regret. They're filled with pain. They're filled with scandal. And the question is, what do we do with it? At first, I think we have to identify where it starts from. Pain from the past that often comes from two places. Number one, what you did. And number two, what was done to you. For some of you, you have self-inflicted pain that you're still trying to deal with, right? From the times that you did, you made, you decided, you thought it was a good idea. In fact, you've been there for every bad decision you've ever made. And sometimes, in some points of your life, it seems like you just set yourself up for constant failure and you couldn't figure it out. For others of you, you look back and you realize what was done to you. <clears throat> the pain, the regret, the scandal, the shame was something that was inflicted on you. It was never your choice. And as we look at this story and look at the family fights, I can't think of a better place to start as we kind of redeem and we look at this Jesus, this, this God in a bod, right? This, this person who's come to save us. That's, that's what Joseph was told. He's going to save people from their sins. And he not only did that, but he showed us how to live. And so we turn to Scripture and we find some ways to deal with the regret, to deal with the scandal, to deal with the pain. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I, I think you could probably stop, right, uh, uh, with this verse, and it kind of sums up a whole lot. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. And as I was growing up, I always heard, you know, we need to be more like the early church. We need to be more like the early church. And then I read through Corinthians, and I was like, man, I hope I'm nothing like that, right? I mean, these people have all kinds of stuff going on. He writes to them and he says, listen, you, you know the way you were. You know that you were lost in all kinds of sin and all kinds of garbage, all kinds of regret and all kinds of pain. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, stop right there. That word anyone is beautiful. It's a reminder that you don't have to come from the perfect family you don't have to get it all right to be in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. I'll never forget, I was 
think I was 15, almost 16 years old. <clears throat> and I bought my very first car, bought it for a whole $500. Now, I'm not that old that cars would be $500, right? I mean, that was still really cheap at the time. It was a two-door Cavalier Rally Sport. It was, had never been painted. <clears throat> it was primer gray. The back seat was never bolted down, so if I stopped hard, the back seat came up into the front seat. <laughs> right? The dash was obliterated. I don't even know what happened. And it had this funky smell that kind of carried with it, so I put a, a jar of Glade right in the, in, the, in the side door, and I'd spray it down before I got in every time. That was just normal. That was what a $500 car was. <clears throat> but it was my $500 car. It was mine. And I paid for it with all the money that I had. I put every dime that I had into buying this car, and I was proud of it. And I remember one day, no anti-lock uh, brake system, no, no power steering was working on it. It was a cold day in Indiana in the middle of winter, and I was having a hard time. Have you ever driven a car that didn't have uh, the, the power steering? You know right? It's almost impossible to drive on a cold day. I tore off down the road and I realized, oh no, I can't steer. <laughs> and I was trying with all my might, but my mind didn't register. Hey, Steve, you could probably hit the brakes if you don't like the direction you're going. By the way, there's a sermon there. <laughs> and I plowed through our neighbor's mailbox and our mailbox and I got out, and listen, my car wasn't in great shape, but it was mine. And I looked at the damage that was done to my car, to the mailboxes, and it literally made me sick. I mean, it made me sick. I stood there, and, and I realized, again, it wasn't nice. It wasn't great. Nobody would have been like, wow, Steve, what an amazing car but it was mine, and I looked at it, and I thought, what did I do? What have I done? Why, why did I do that, right? And then I had to make the walk of shame back to the house. And I told my dad, and my dad was furious with me, and he said, all right, now you need to march over to the neighbors and tell them what you did. And I, again, this sick feeling inside of me as I, I had ruined my car, I had ruined mailboxes. The morning was off to a terrible start. And it just made me sick all day long. I remember thinking about watching those mailboxes fly up over the top and hearing them scrape the full length of my car. It just made me sick. Sometimes when I think about forgiveness that we find in Christ, I I think there's times where we hold on to stuff that, that, that we would love to find forgiveness, but it's like we can't because we know us. And other people can say, listen, that's all right. You're good. You're good. You can move on from your family. You can move on from your past. Listen, I forgive you, but you say, you don't know the real me. You don't know the places I've been. You don't know the things I've done. And if you really knew me, you'd feel sick about it too. The power of the verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that in Christ, anyone, anyone with a past, anyone with brokenness, anyone with the things of regret and shame and the things that you look at, you're like, man, I'm so sick. 
I see it over and over and over again in my mind, and it just won't leave. And God says, it doesn't matter. Anybody in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Only in Christ. Listen, you're not going to find it anywhere else. But only in Christ is our past forgiven. I think the second thing, looking at this idea of how do we overcome regret, pain from the past, is that recognizing that we have value in Christ. I believe there's people tuning in today. I believe that there are people in this room today who don't think they're valuable because of what they did or what was done to them. And what I learned over time is this, that you protect the things that are valuable. We took our, son, our whole family several years ago to Disneyland, and we're out with my mom at Disneyland and all six kids. I don't know why we thought that was a good idea. Um, we, <laughs> we were gluttons for punishment. Our youngest bear was like eight months old. Carter was just almost three. Yeah, we don't make wise choices all the time. We're out and we're having a good time. The kids are having a good time. Disney's kicking my butt. <clears throat> Caleb, our oldest son, had just finished uh, being, you know, a part of the Star Wars thing. They had made him a part of that and... We were asking him questions about how, how that was, and you know he, he was the Jedi, and that was cool, and he got a certificate, and we're looking at it, and all of a sudden we look up and we realize that our three-year-old is gone in a sea of people. And I'm like, we have five more. I mean, <laughs> um, we can make another one. We already made one, right? I mean, no, <laughs> that's not true. That wasn't my thought, right? My thought was, I have lost something valuable and I will not rest until I find it. I would have torn that whole park apart until I found it. The worry, the stress, the, the gut, just for 30 seconds. I mean, we found them within a couple of minutes, but just, just that initial thought of losing something so valuable, tore us up. See, the value of something is determined by the price that is paid for it. I would have paid anything. I would have done anything to find our son that day. And the same is true for you. The value is determined by the price that was paid for you. And we... We have this verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave the very best for your very worst. So when you're at your very worst, when the pain and shame and regret, when the feelings surrounding you of your family, you look back on that thing that, that isn't so funny anymore, just remember in the worst of the decisions that you were there for or the worst of the things that were inflicted on you, God values you. He chased you down and he wouldn't stop 
till he bought you. And he would have paid any price, and he gladly paid the price of his son. See, your value doesn't come from the mess that you made, but the price that was paid. And that's good news for those of us who are just a little bit messy. I think the third thing that helps us with overcoming this idea of pain from the past is knowing that that we are unconditionally loved. And I want to tell you something today that um, is just a truth for me. I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't know that I unconditionally love people. I want to. I have a heart to. But what my history has told me is that I'm not quite there yet. And if you're there, congratulations. I'm super proud. I would love to take notes. But what I found in my life is that most of the time, I struggle with unconditionally loving people. But in my life, there are a few people who get unconditionally loved. And I think the best way to look at it is in this parent-child relationship. Those of you who have children, you remember when you brought that little baby home from the hospital and you were tired and you were adjusting to life as normal, right? And you brought them home and you put them in the bed at night, right? And then you would go to lay in your own bed and they started crying in the middle of the night. You're like, hey, keep it down. I'm tired. And they're like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to bug you. How many more hours of sleep do you need before you feel really well rested? It didn't happen, did it? And it didn't happen for the next at least 18 years. <laughs> but you got up and you gave. And when you woke up, you still gave and you made breakfast and you picked out clothes and you listened to the way that things didn't go their way and you held their hand. And you heard them say hurtful words like, I don't like you. And you said, I love you. And that's because you unconditionally love them. They don't earn your love. And you give it to them anyway. And I want to tell you that that is true of God to you now. See, God doesn't love you because of your performance, how well you do things or how unwell you do things. He loves you because of your position, because you're his child. When you're in Christ, you are a new creation. And he loves you unconditionally. And when you screwed up last night or you were arguing on your way in here, you're getting ready to have round two when you get back in the car, just know, don't act like I don't know that. Come on now. (laughs) Just know that God loves you for your position, that you're his child. Ben, if you'll come back up and I'm going to finish out here. Can I finish out with one more story? I want to tell you one more personal story. Today's full of personal stories. A few years ago, our youngest son, Bear, was about one year old. 
He was old enough to be walking around the house. Carter would have been about four or five. Um, all of ours would have been younger. And Veronica was out of the house. I think she was shopping at the time. And so dad's holding down things at home, which can always be a little bit of, that's when the craziness ensues, right? That's when the, that's when the stories happen. And we're getting ready to eat, and Carter has happened up onto uh, the countertop, and he has grabbed a hold of the microwave, and he pulled it open. And you know that little glass tray that sits inside of there? Well, that glass tray came tumbling out, hit the counter, hit the floor, and exploded into a million pieces, a million tiny pieces. All It sounded like a gunshot. About that time, Bear comes running around the corner. He has taken off his diaper, and he says, Poopy, Daddy. And I'm stuck between trying to figure out if I want my son's diaper mess all over the house or I want my child climbing through glass. And I didn't know what to do. And it seemed like I looked around, and I thought, man, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't know what thing to go after first. And it all seems like a wreck, and it's all happening at once, and it is all consuming. I did what every good husband would do. I called my wife and said, how quick can you get home, right? I mean, <laughs> so I promptly went in to my son, and I chastised him for breaking that glass. No. I waded through the sea of glass. And I picked him up, and I carried him to safety. And I grabbed my other son carefully, because he had stuff everywhere. <laughs> and I carried him to safety. And then I started cleaning up the mess. See, I cared more about them than the mess that they had made. Right now, you may not be able to see past the mess. And maybe it's of your own doing, or maybe it's been done to you, but it just feels like it's all consuming and you don't even know where to start. But God does. He starts with a new creation. He starts by saying, listen, I tell you what, how about I come get you in the middle of it? You don't even have to move. I love you. So you may not be able to see past your mess, but I know that God does. And he loves you. And he will always love you. And he forgives you. And he will always forgive you. And he sees value in you. And he will always see value in you. And that's the redeeming nature of our God. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good to us. In the middle of our mess, in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of our craziness, in the middle of our past, in the middle of things that we have done and things that have been done to us, you never leave us. And God, I know that there are people here today, people are watching today, and they are surrounded in a sea of glass. And they have been for days, weeks, months, years, decades. And God, would you remind them that you love them? That there is nothing that can't be redeemed. That is the story of your son. 
that you've given us this genealogy to remember that you redeem over and over and over. It doesn't matter how big, how crazy, how scandalous, how nasty the past is. You come and you save. And so God, would, would we walk out of here today different people than we walked in before? God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray all of this in the power and might and majesty of his beautiful name. Amen.